Father, thank you so much for just what you're doing at First Evan. Thank you for women like Marianne and Margie and other godly women in this church that are leaving a legacy in our lives. And Father, thank you for the time this weekend to come together and just to sit under each other and, and learn from one another. And Father, I pray for today as we turn to your word and we look at another I am statement that, Lord, you would speak to us, that we would hear what you want us to take away, and that we not just sit and soak, but that, Lord, we would apply what you're teaching us. And so I pray for Carolyn now as she comes to bring your word. Lord, guide her, um, strengthen her, speak powerfully through her. And we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, ladies. I've always been intrigued by the desert my whole life. It's just held a fascination for me. Um, So I was very thrilled a couple of years ago when we went to Joshua Tree National Park in the southern part of the Mojave Desert out west. Due to an exceptional rainfall in the winter, prior to our being there that spring, the desert was in full bloom. It was spectacular, breathtaking. It was was an amazing thing to see, and it reminded me of the resurrection in some ways. That barren, dead place sprung to life, the beauty of it. Only about 200 miles north of there, however, in the northern part of the Mojave Desert, lies Death Valley, the lowest point in the North American continent. Death Valley boasts the record highest temperature ever recorded on Earth, 134 degrees. Um, it's located in a, in a basin that traps the air and heats it up. And it's also in the rain shadow of the Sierra Nevada Mountains which means as the moist air comes from the ocean and hits the mountains, all the moisture, most of the moisture, is dumped on the western side of the mountains. That leaves a desert on the eastern side of the mountains. The little precipitation that does fall evaporates most of it before it hits the ground. So that's the reason for the desolation. And yet there is a mysterious attraction of its own just because of the mere desolation and the danger of the place. But the reality is that in spite of its beauty and the fascination that it holds, it is a dangerous and life-threatening place to live in Death Valley. It's isolated and it's inhospitable and it's, as with many deserts, there are mirages that can draw you off further into the danger before you realize it. There are some few people, adventurous souls, who live on the perimeter of Death Valley in small towns. Maybe they're drawn there by the the very danger of it. I don't know. But it's not a place I would want to settle down and live. (laughs) Or would I? In life, we have two choices of environment, only two choices. We can choose to live, let's call the first place Death Valley. The second place we can choose to live is a resurrection country. We're born onto this earth, into this earthly life, 
in Death Valley. We're born again into resurrection country. Jesus makes this clear in John 11 as he speaks to Martha and Mary and Lazarus. This family finds themselves in the valley of the shadow of death. But Jesus has in mind for them a better existence, an existence uh, he wants them to inhabit a new place that is defined by the one who is the resurrection and the life. He wants them to live life with Jesus alive and present in every moment. So let's take a look at how this unfolds. First, we're born into Death Valley. What is this Death Valley place like? The ruler in Death Valley is death. Death reigns. We know that sin entered the world through one man's rebellion, and right along with sin came its inseparable companion, death. We're born into an existence ruled by the law of sin and death. In addition, the devil holds us captive through our fear of death, according to Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. The devil holds us captive through fear of death all our lives. What are some of the realities that we are faced with in living in Death Valley? Ephesians 2 tells us that we are energized by our flesh. We're driven by that inborn selfishness, self-determination, self-effort. We want to take charge of our own lives and the lives of everyone around us. We value only the things that we originate, the things that we control, the things we anticipate, the things that we can define and quantify. We're defined by what we can, we're driven by what we can gain. We're controlled, according to Ephesians 2, 2 and 3, we're controlled by the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the mind. Speaking of the mind, Paul goes on in Ephesians to describe the condition of our minds, the futility of our mind. The word futile contains the connotation of mirage, something that appears real but doesn't actually have any reality or substance or worth. Paul goes on to describe our minds as void of understanding darkened, calloused. Many of the perceptions that we have about life are mirages with no substance because we can't think straight. And that leads us into the attraction of the passing pleasures of sin. Sin does offer us a temporary advantage, an escape from the suffering in the short term. It enables us to avoid trusting God to sustain us in the midst of the suffering. We want to escape the suffering. Because our minds are darkened, we don't understand that these pleasures are not lasting and they're not satisfying. We don't recognize that those things are a mirage offering something that they can never produce. And so we indulge ourselves, and sin masters us, and the outcome is always and only death. 
James 1, 5, 15 says, Lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death, always and only. So Death Valley is an environment that is marked by mirages and shadows and uncertainties and corruption and unfruitfulness and barrenness and death. This is not how it's supposed to be. We were not created to live under the law of sin and death. So in John 11, Jesus reveals to Martha and to Mary, but pr primarily to Martha, just what he is doing about the law of sin and death. Mary and Martha are good Jews. They know and believe all the promises about the Messiah. They are awaiting his coming, and they have a developing faith in Jesus. But for the moment, Death Valley has intruded into their life. Death is casting its shadow over their little family. They probably know more about Jesus than most people do at this point, but they don't yet know everything they need to know. There is one thing, though, that they know for sure. When death lurks, Jesus is the only one who can do something about it. And so they send for him to come and do something about death. And, of course, we know the story. Jesus waits until death has done its worst before he shows up because he wants to reveal himself to them in a new way. He wants to tell them about resurrection country. And more than telling them about it, he wants them to press further into the reality and live there with Jesus alive and present in every moment. So what does he want Martha to know about resurrection country? What is it like to live in resurrection country? The ruler there in resurrection country is not sin and death, but Jesus Christ reigns because he took on flesh and tasted death for every person so that he could definitively conquer death through his resurrection. He himself is the resurrection and the life, alive and present and powerful. Rather than being held captive by the devil, we are the spirit um, gives us life and freedom to all who believe the gospel. To enter resurrection country, we have to be born again into it and believe the truth about who Jesus is and what he's able to do. The realities of living in resurrection country are these. First, rather than being energized by the flesh, we're energized by the spirit. This new existence, this eternal life that Jesus is calling us into is more than just unending life. It's more than just an escape from condemnation. It is a divinely enabled life. Let's think for a minute about Jesus' resurrection. We had nothing to do with thinking it up. We had nothing to do with bringing it about. We would never have anticipated it. The disciples certainly didn't, even though they'd been told. They still could not believe it at first. 
But the triune God alone accomplished the resurrection. And so as we embrace the reality of Jesus' resurrection, he gives us a resurrected life. The old life is buried, and we rise again to a new kind of life with Jesus alive and present. The indwelling spirit energizes us with all the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so he, the spirit enables us to begin to cast off all the thought patterns and habits of our life, previous life in Death Valley. And he begins to teach us how to learn, how to live in the light of, of what we do not originate, what we cannot anticipate, what we cannot even imagine or think up on our own, to live a life that is more than we could have if we were left to ourselves. We are sustained and energized and ordered and ruled by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our triune God. We're enabled by the Holy Spirit to live a life where sin and death do not have the last say. Secondly, rather than having a futile mind with futile thoughts, we have renewed minds. We read in Ephesians 1 that we are enlightened by the Spirit of God. Our spirits are enlightened by the Spirit of God to know the hope and the riches and the power that are ours, brought about by Jesus' resurrection and ascension. We begin to think new thoughts. We begin to see the mirages for what they are. And because of that, We reject the passing pleasures of sin, and we're able to enjoy genuine and unending pleasures at the Father's right hand. Not mirages that offer something they can't produce, but instead pleasures that have substance, that bring satisfaction and sustenance, all because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He has the power of an indestructible life that enabled him to pass through death and into resurrection life and to give us that same kind of life where sin and death don't have the last say. Resurrection country, this place where God lives, is marked by an unseen reality that is more real and more true than the reality that we can see in this world around us in the realm of our own human activity. The living God invites us to live real life with him in this realm, to pass through death and into life and on into resurrection and glory, not only in the far-off future as resurrection as an event that is coming, and it is coming, and it is true, but we're to begin to live that life now a life where Jesus is alive and present at this very moment in this very place where we are this morning and in every other place that we will ever be, every circumstance we will ever encounter. As Martha stands there facing her dead brother's tomb, she's sure that it's all over. You see, she still has some futile thinking going on in her mind. She's sure that it's all over. She's sure that Jesus has gotten there too late 
her three-person family is over. It's now a two-person family with a big hole in it where her brother used to be. Nobody anticipated this outcome, but here she is, grief-stricken and in a valley where death has cast its shadow, and she's wrestling with her unmet expectations. What seems real to her at this moment is the undeniable fact that her brother is dead and gone, decaying in the grave, period, end of sentence. But maybe that period's not really a period. Maybe it's a comma. Because we see Martha turning to Jesus in the midst of her distress. And she says, even now, even now, I know that my brother will rise in the resurrection. You see, she has her doctrine right, doesn't she? She knows that there's a resurrection coming. But she still still needs to realize that resurrection is tied up in a person. The person of Jesus who's standing right there in her presence. It's not just some remote future event. And we see Jesus move toward her. He doesn't rebuke her. He moves right toward her tenderly and lovingly, and he takes the little flicker of her faith, and he fans it into a great blaze as she recognizes more who he is. As he speaks to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And that stunning statement and mystifying statement, what does that mean, leads Martha to a confession. She says, I have believed that you are the Christ. That word means anointed one. I believe that you are the anointed one, the prophet, the priest, the king that God has anointed. I believe you're the son of God. If all these things that you're telling me are true, and they are, I believe it, then you must be God. You are God, and I believe that you are. I believe that you're the promised one, the one I've been waiting for all this time. And Jesus affirms her her, um, confession, and he begins, and he sets forth to prove that he has the right to call himself the resurrection and the life as he goes to the tomb and brings Lazarus back to life. So two environments, Death Valley and Resurrection Country. How do we move from one to the other? And once we have made that initial move out of darkness and into light, out of death into life, how do we stand against the intrusion of those Death Valley kind of habits and thoughts that we've always been used to thinking. Let's take a look at the route to resurrection country. First, we need a heart for the journey. We need to take a look inside. The journey is for the grieving and the sick, the tired, the hungry, the lonely, the sick, the sinful, the weak, the lame, the blind, the incompetent, the rejected, the defeated, the prodigal, and the religious. Do you find yourself in that list anywhere, or does that prompt something that isn't on the list? Certainly not an exhaustive list. But the journey is for those kinds of people. So take a, let's take a look inside our hearts and identify what are my deepest longings, What are my unmet expectations? 
What are my weak spots? What is the sin that I cannot or maybe will not give up? You know, sometimes when I'm looking for a book, I, I go online and, you know, Google it and it comes up, the, the book, and then you see there a little thing you can click that says look inside. And so you browse through a few chapters and read, read some of it to see if that book is going to meet your need. There's also another button on there that you can click on called Surprise Me. <laughs> and that will take you somewhere you never expected to go. My point is that as we look inside, sometimes we need to hit the Surprise Me button and allow the Lord Jesus to tell us what death-inducing thing is lingering and hiding. It may be a place we would have never thought to go. But look inside and identify our need. And then we need to call for Jesus to come and do something about death. Just as Mary and Martha did. There's no need for us to sit there mourning and groaning and helpless and, and victimized by the things that we see. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We need to confess with Martha. You are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who was promised, the one I've been waiting for. And when we call him to come, he comes eagerly to bring new life for all who will believe the gospel. And not just initially. We have to believe the gospel all over again every day, don't we? Not that we lose our salvation. Don't get me wrong, but... But we have to believe the gospel again every day, every moment. We have to realize, this is the one I've been waiting for, to deal with this death-inducing thing that is plaguing me. So there are some habits that we need to form in order for this to happen, in order for Jesus to to move in and to be all that he wants to be to us. After our... And I've said this before, but after our initial entry into resurrection country, we still have to deal with some of the old habits, don't we? Some of the old thought patterns and some of the old ways of life that we were used to. Death Valley still tries to intrude and regain our allegiance. And we, there are habits that we can form by the Holy Spirit can enable us to form these habits that help us stay in resurrection country, to live a life with Jesus alive and present and powerful in our life, to keep death from worming its way back in. We know some of these that we've, pro- I think, I feel like in, over the course of the number of Bible studies, I've written this down, you know, a thousand times, Bible study, prayer, saying community, those things like that, we know those things. But I'm going to try to put a little more meat on those bones, so to speak, because sometimes you think, okay, I know I'm supposed to get in the Bible and read, but where should I go? Just give me a starting place. Anyway, I want to frame a few suggestions this morning, um, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to work in me these habits that will foster a life with Jesus live and and present. First, ask God daily to give you a heart for the journey, an open heart, Ask him to deal with your hardness of heart, to take it away, your self-sufficiency, your desire to control, your um, lack of spiritual imagination. 
you know, sometimes we don't move forward because we cannot imagine it could be any different than it already is. We need a little spiritual imagination. Think of the possibilities. Ask God to give you hope. Secondly, saturate yourself with the mystery of the resurrection and the, the unbelievable power that flows from that resurrection. To do this, I would say read and meditate frequently on the gospel accounts of the resurrection and on other scriptures that help us to understand the meaning of the resurrection. Just saturate yourself with those scriptures. Meditate on it. Think through it. And ask the Holy Spirit to wield that resurrection power in your life all day long, every day. The more we focus on the resurrection, the more hope we have for a better life and a better way of living than remaining in those death valley habits. Thirdly, renew your mind. We all know that the world wants to press us into its way of thinking. And we also know that our flesh is all too often eagerly willing to follow right along and to cooperate with the worldly thinking. We do it before we realize it because our culture presses in so hard. We also know that our thought life is crucial to our being able to put into practice the truth that we know. As you think in your heart, so you are. In our lesson today, we, we see how Martha and Mary possibly had in their mind the idea that Jesus should protect them and would protect them from death and sorrow. That's just not necessarily true, is it? Um, (laughs) The reality is that oftentimes his love will lead us into sorrow, into storms, into situations where death has its say. People die. Um, But that place where Jesus brings us is for a purpose because he wants to lead us through that into resurrection. His love is often shown in delay. So we need to learn to think. That's just one example of the way that we need to let God's thoughts rule in our minds. We need to think God's thoughts after him. Fourthly, let scripture inform your speech. One of the, this is one of the ways we renew our mind. It's by speaking aloud the truth. Our words spoken aloud have creative power. We can create new reality with our words. You've seen it happen as you speak to a child that's maybe they're discouraged or whatever and you you begin to praise them and you begin to talk to them and pretty soon you see that heaviness lift. You've created a new reality um, for them. We need to learn to use language that is suited to what we say we believe. Um, Our belief that God is preeminent and powerful and that that language that recognizes his action 
in our life as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit acting in our circumstances where we are. Our words need to reflect scriptural reality. The more frequently we rehearse the truth out loud, the more quickly it will become the reality that the Holy Spirit will use to frame our outlook and our behavior. We need to talk in scriptural terms. Eugene Peterson says that Jesus should be in every sentence, not necessarily as the subject or the predicate, but maybe as a comma or a preposition or a period. So I love that way he writes that. Just let him be there in the background of everything you say, if not the foreground. Um, And lastly, cultivate vigilance. I tend to uh, some days just kind of, you know, flat line. I'm not watching. We need to stay vigilant, stay awake to all that Jesus is and all that he is doing in our circumstances. To watch for his loving ways in our lives and in the lives of other people. And then we need to imitate those ways. So these are just a few things that we can do a few practical ways that we can advance and open up the door to a life more fully lived in resurrection country. So, Death Valley versus resurrection country. Which will it be? When we give in to the flesh, when we think unworthy thoughts, when we embrace the passing pleasures of this earthly life, we're living a Death Valley kind of life. A life that's marked by mirages and shadows and corruption and loss and uncertainty and barrenness and death. But it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, alive and present and powerful in your life at this moment. Let's call on him to do something about death. And when we do... In resurrection country, we will experience Jesus alive and present. He'll fan our developing faith into a a flame of recognition of who he is. He will form in us the habits that tend toward eternal life, toward a God-enabled life. In resurrection country, there awaits for us a a reality that is more real and more true than the reality that we see in the visible world around us. The alive and present God calls us to join him, to live real life with him in resurrection country, to pass through death and on into resurrection and glory, a life with Jesus alive and present. Over the last year, I've faced several circumstances in my life where Death Valley has cast its shadow. Uh, place where, places where I've had to make a choice of where to live. Am I going to let the Death Valley way rule my life or the resurrection country? My sister-in-law had serious um, heart valve replacement surgery. 
before she could recover from that, her husband was in the hospital for, I think, six or seven times in a two-week period. They kept letting him go. He had profuse bleeding that they couldn't stop. In a two-week period, he had eight transfusions. Um, They couldn't get the bleeding to stop. He coded, and they had to resuscitate him. Then his mother died. Then, um, and matter of fact, I can't even count the number of funerals that I've been to in the last year of valuable people in my life. Then two of my very closest prayer partner friends of 40 years um, have been diagnosed with breast cancer. One of them, a very serious breast cancer. I myself had not just one, but two colonoscopies and a hysterectomy this year. (laughs) Death lurks, you know. Then I found out that my next door neighbors are moving to Huntsville. Now that may not sound like a a big deal, but these people are like a sister and brother to us. Dear, dear friends. And they're moving away. And they're taking their two children with them. Um, they're adult children, and but they, we have a love relationship with that family that is indescribable, and they're moving. So that's a death of a sorts. And I wonder who's going to move in across the driveway. You know, there's two inches between our driveways. So, anyway. And then only the grandmothers in here will understand this, but this summer my 14-year-old twin granddaughters will not be coming for their 10-day Camp Tennessee. They live in Chicago because they're teenagers now. They've got driver's ed, they've got running camp, band camp, two mission trips and a family vacation. You know, there's no, they just cannot be away from home another week. So that is a new stage of life for us because we have delighted in the things that we've been able to do with them. So the temptations have been strong for me over the last year to give in to the realities of the Death Valley existence, to be energized by my flesh instead of by the Holy Spirit, to believe that the mirages are real instead of renewing my mind to think about what is really true, to indulge in fear and worry, indignation, self-pity, the list goes on, instead of staying vigilant to what Jesus is doing in these circumstances. To for, I forget that he's alive and present and powerful in every single one of these circumstances and in every other circumstance I could imagine. So as I've studied over John 11 in the last few weeks, getting ready for this morning, the Lord's given me a renewed thirst to live life with Jesus alive and present and powerful in my life. I hope that I meet a few fellow travelers along the way who can keep me honest and keep me straight. Maybe you'll be one of them. I hope so. Let's pray. Our Father, we're thankful that you are alive and present to us, that you are the resurrection and the life, the only source of hope for us, the one who has conquered death so that we don't have to be ruled by the law of sin and death, but the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. 
We thank you for your work in our hearts, and we look forward to a more consistent walk in resurrection country. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.